I don't mind. Alright. Yeah. Uh, okay. Alright, so... Um... So the, the, the thing I was looking at was in the sense of, well, you know, you got your desire, aversion, ignorance, and it's not necessarily that, uh, how do I say it? So the process of desire is what desires, and there's nothing else other than that, if that makes sense. Say it again. The process of desire is what desires. It's just it's just that feedback loop working on itself. All right. Okay. But yeah. there's really nothing to that. I mean, there's not even a reason to even put it together like that. I, guess. I know. Yeah. And, I, it just it it was just very uh, a very nice way I found of of when I was speaking to myself in the sense of trying to find out how that all worked. Um, yeah. And that's how it sort of dawned on me in the sense that there's no yeah, there's no, there's so much distance between all these processes going on that getting infatuated with any one of the processes is not a uh, reliable source of true happiness because there's just so much going on and it's just serving its own interests because the desire just wants the desire for its own sake. It's just, I guess it's like the wheel, the Dharma wheel or whatever you'd want to say. Okay. Uh, perhaps we can express it like this, hmm. that there is desire and then there is the expression, I want. Mm -hmm. I like, I want, I need, mm -hmm. I gotta have, all right? Yeah. I can't live without it. That's mm -hmm. down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a survival issue. Mm -hmm. And and young men in high school will often say, I can't live without her, or I can't live without you, or I can't stand this. <laughs> okay. And mm -hmm. this is th this is what the desire is. But this is ignorant desire. There is a kind of wise desire in the sense of, um, let us put it like this, we're going to do it this way and then this way and this way and kind of back into it. Okay, so if our wisdom doesn't come until desire, now the job is to become satisfied not getting what you want. <laughs> yeah yeah all right and another uh uh aspect of that is to recognize that i am not the desire that now i see the desire i am not the desire when i am the desire that's dukkha that's the self so when is i see the desire then that's a different kind of self and this is part of the problem with using the word self in all of this. So we can talk about it as an observer or a witness or um, an investigation. And we can see it as an investigation itself rather than an investigator or mm -hmm. an observer. 
it's merely observation also, so there's no self in there either. Mm-hmm. Neither yeah. in the desire nor the witnessing of the desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's a very interesting word, witness, in the sense that there's two kinds of witnesses. One is the witness who witnessed the scene of the accident, and that happened on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, now he's a witness on the witness stand telling the story about what he saw. Mm-hmm. The two kinds of witnesses. One is the observer and the other one is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Okay, guess what? That same thing happens within our own minds. There are two kinds of consciousness that which witnesses and that which tells the story about what was seen. And that would be something like um, clinging in Paticca Samapada, right? The story? No, no huh? actually clinging is the Pali word would be um, upadana. Mm-hmm. And that um, this word that we're using in the Pali is the salayatana, or our conceptual mind. Uh, okay. When you see something with the eyes, that's consciousness. But when you see what somebody means, that's salayatana, not uh-huh. consciousness. Okay. <laughs> it is, in a way, a consciousness. And in fact, the word consciousness is used for both of these things, just like the witness, the word witness is used for both of these things. Uh huh. Yep. Okay. And so, um, in fact, in court, what actually happened is irrelevant. What's what's important is what the witness says, the story. That's what's going to impact the jury or hit the jury to make them to feel one way or the other. Mm, Yeah, so the thing that actually happened versus the story that we tell ourselves or that we tell others, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the making up of the story, what happened between Tuesday and Thursday in our little story here, is called perception. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. The collection, basically. The, uh, form. the collecting together yeah. and figuring things out and yeah. saying what the story is going to be. Now, that can happen in the mind in a tenth of a second or less. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so this is what we mean by reaction time that reaction time generally is about two thought moments. One is to see it and make sense out of it. And then the second part of it is to react. Mm, yeah. And if, and most people are about 300 milliseconds or so, but people who are at the level of, let us say, black belts would be down about 200 milliseconds. And then athletes and stars and uh, world champion boxers and karate masters are down to about 180. Mm-hmm. which is enough edge to beat the punch out of somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And so that's actually what we're practicing also, that I would say that your average meditator is capable of getting into that black belt level just by practicing sitting. You don't have to throw the punches. You just have to have uh, the skill of watching what's going on. 
Okay. Okay. And so um, back to that whole point about the desire is, is that that uh, comes from the story that we tell ourselves that impacts us like it impacts the jury so that the jury then uh, gives a verdict, I like it or I don't like it. Yeah, very good. Okay. Yeah, nice. I like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the jury gives the feeling and then the judge makes the sentence, which <laughs> is, um, um, <laughs> uh, well, no, not yet. No, not yet, this, not yet. This, the, the sentence then is, is the, uh, the, the wanting and then the sheriff comes in with the handcuffs of clinging uh-huh. and now the guy is being reborn in prison yeah and yeah. that's the duca yeah yeah okay that's a very interesting little story like that about uh Petitia samupada yeah i love that that was great yeah it's really uh fleshed it all out very nicely yeah, because I've been thinking about it a lot. So I like mm-hmm. that the jury verdict, sheriff, sheriff, prison. and then prison. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's a self-made one, right? Uh, precisely so. It happens within our own mind. We lock ourselves up, and in a sense, we decide to go there. Right, because we want it so badly. Now mm-hmm. we are its prisoner yeah yeah now here's a little bit more to that which is really the hard um part for many people to figure out but let us say that this desire is for a car a particular car for some other reason some reason or another this young man he wants that car and so he goes all through struggles and whatnots and talks to his dad and talks to the dealer and peniggles around and borrows money and finally gets enough to make a down payment and he gets his car. But now he's got to pay for it. Now he's got to take care of it. Now he's got to clean it out. And for a long time, he really likes that. But pretty soon it goes old. Mm. And then he walks outside and the car is missing. <laughs> it's been stolen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now that means that when he wanted it and didn't have it, he suffered because he he wanted it. When he had it, he was suffering to take care of it. And then when he lost it, that was when he really began to suffer. Yeah. This yeah. is the quality of the grief for things that are dear. When we uh lose things. Mm. Or in fact, there are many times whatever it is that's dear to us is the source of our frustration for instance if someone uh, was most dear to him is his cell phone then he gets really frustrated when the battery runs down or he gets really um um irate when he loses his wi-fi signal Mm. or that uh the service is stopped or that an application crashed his phone i mean people get really uptight because that's what they care about and anything that we love, the same thing can be true about the computer or relationship or mother dying or whatever it is, whatever it is that we hold dear, that's going to be the source of suffering. Mm. And, 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 and this actually synchronizes very well into the next point that I was thinking of making was that all this dukkha, all this um, 
craving, all this, all this fabrication that we're doing around reality, it takes a lot of work, right? That's the dukkha, right? Yeah. That's the prison. That's being, you know, in service. Yeah, and it takes the so much. The example that Buddha gives is the, uh, is, is the servant to the king. And you got to get up before the king gets up and you got to put his clothes on and give him the food and do all of that before you get anything. Yeah. And then when he all day long, you have to follow him around, giving him what he wants. And then at the end of the day, when you put the king to bed, only then can you go rest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's um, uh, uh, what in Western language we would think of as a job, especially if it's a real <laughs> full-time job okay <laughs> that we wake up in the morning we go to work we spend all day and then we rest a little while after the work's done and then we start it again working yeah. work, working working okay why because we desire the mm. one thing with to heart so it's the yeah. desire itself is the king the desire itself is the boss mm. or let's say the hindrance yeah, and it, and in terms of like the energy, because it takes so much work, right? Because everything's changing, our mind is constantly uh, trying to support these conditions. Like, oh, I've got to work to get the big paycheck, to get the girl, to get the car, all that sort of stuff, right? And it's constantly, it's this commotion going on in our mind that we're supporting by talking and, you know, elevating it in a sense. And then we realize, wait, it's just easier just to chill out and relax. Like, it's it's actually easier to just let it go. <laughs> yeah. So I like that point, about all that work. Mm. Um, now, going back to that point of the jury, mm -hmm. there's actually, in in the way of the Buddha, there are three kinds of feelings. Mm-hmm. The feeling is I like it, which leads to I want it, which is the desire for the car. And then there is the feeling of uh, not liking. Which would be yes or no for the jury. And then there is the third kind, which is the hung jury. And often the <laughs> hung jury is the most difficult to deal with because they can't come to a conclusion. It may mean that we've got to go back and do it all over again. Maybe another trial. Okay. Yeah. That and that, that one's that one's called like a suka, a duka, or something like that, because yes. it's caught in between. It's caught in between, precisely, yeah. which is where our doubt comes from. Ah. Because we're not sure and we want it to either like it or not like it. Right. And this would this is probably something more to do with like restlessness, I'd imagine, because we're constantly f caught in between the two. That's one. That's one of the uh, they are definitely interrelated. These hindrances really do fit together and are interrelated. And so what we're talking about is hindrance in the sense of the definition would be anything that hinders one's mind from being in a state that it would like to be in mm, yeah okay yeah. that's a hindrance that's why hindrances are so uh high quality uh understanding of dukkha that the hindrances are associated with dukkha because it makes us unsatisfied 
Mm. But when we're free from the hindrances, that means that now we can experience <laughs> reality as it is without any one of the hindrances, including desire. And so we can be satisfied. Yeah. Okay, so that's the whole point about Anapanasati practice is to keep practicing of coming out of the hindrances, coming out of the unwholesome and coming into the wholesome over and over and over and over and over again. Okay. It's good fun. As, as many mind moments as we can pile on there because every mind moment, um, when it's dead, it's like garbage. It's mm. like sewage. Okay. Now imagine that uh, the Pali word Sankara which means compounded or stuck together things, that's actually pointing towards garbage. The things okay. are just all compiled together, all stuck together, and the worst form of garbage is sewage. Okay. Now let's imagine that a wholesome thought is going to be a special kind of sewage in the sense that it, number one, it floats. And number two, it's a hamburger. Go on. Okay. <laughs> and so every time that we have a wholesome thought, now we start throwing hamburgers in the sewer. But we keep throwing many of them over and over and over and over and over again until we get an entire layer of hamburgers. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then we get even more uh, wholesome thoughts in there and more layers of hamburgers. That means that we've got to have something really big fall into that sewer to disturb it so that it, uh, the sewage comes back up to the surface. Okay. Okay. Now, we can think of then that that Sankara, that sewer of the past, that now has a layer of delicious hamburgers that whenever we use perception, uh, to take what's new and we look into the sewer of our mind to find out how to make sense out of this, we always keep bringing up hamburgers rather than sewage. Mm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so this is uh, in particular some part of that's when some new something comes in, we perceive it, which means we're trying to make sense out of it. And so we go get something out of the past, but anything that we get out of the past now is a hamburger, not sewage. So now we add our hamburger to it because this is something that's quite interesting that people don't understand. And that is, is that it's actually not possible for a human being to experience reality. Oh, yeah. can only experience the experience of reality. Yeah. Because it's the jury that makes the decision, not the witness who saw the accident. Yeah. Yeah. I realized this like a while ago that I was living in a simulation, but it wasn't out there. It was completely in here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we use simulations, people go off into computers and AI and all of that kind of stuff. But no, this is much more of Simpler. <laughs> we are trying to follow reality and catching up with it. And we keep stumbling and falling. Mm. OK, that in fact, you could say that, um, that this way is, is that um, whatever we come up with as an understanding, the further away from actual reality it is, the more likely it's going to be dukkha, and the more likely it's going to be heavy-duty dukkha. And the closer that our observation is to actual reality, 
then the less likely there's going to be any Duke at all. Yeah, 100%. I, yeah, 100%. Definitely. And so when that hung jury, because there's a lot of hung juries in the mind, and we get hung up on things, okay? Mm. So that means that we have to have another trial and another trial and another trial and another trial, which means more observation, more looking, more gathering data, more sensory input. That's what we're looking for. We want more witnesses and more witnesses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, this is the whole quality then of um, getting those hamburgers is getting expert witnesses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so when we uh, treat things wisely by gathering data more and more, then we don't stay confused so much. Okay. And not only that, but what we do come up with is more likely to be closer to reality because we've observed and we've observed and we've observed and we observed. Mm. <clears throat> An example of that is it does not matter how fast the athlete is saying baseball of being able to catch a ball an outfielder okay okay if the ball that he's looking at that he's about to catch is only a photograph and that's all he's got it's just a photo is he going to be able to catch that ball mm -hmm. yeah not very likely <laughs> okay well, that's how we make our judgments we often make snap judgments we just take a photo of it and then we think we know all about it whether than no we've got to watch the trajectory of that ball to figure out which way it's going so that we can be there over here to catch it mm. okay this is in fact what the human mind is so good at uh i think that it comes actually from many primitive animals have the ability to track things as they move to see trajectory that's how a lion can catch a wildebeest mm -hmm. because he's watching where the wildebeest is going and he's chasing after it and so he needs to have those skills so uh, we can think of it though with with our human brain we can actually do that same tracking with a deeper level of reality than just seeing physical objects move, that we can see things moving through time also. Mm. We can see other kinds of slow train wrecks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we step out of the way as they're coming, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is being able to see the trajectory of things, see where things are going which means that we have to take more and more and more data in order to catch where that curve is going. Because, you know, two points will give you a straight line, but nothing ever goes in a straight line, not for long. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and three points don't give good data. We need more and more and more points, and the more points we have, then the better we can tell. Yeah. This is what, and in fact, Wall Street is an excellent example of that because they're a little thirsty for more and more data to try to figure all of that out. Right? Mm, mm. This is what the human mind is really good at. Yeah, thirst for data. And is that search for data? But then we get thirsty for more and more data. That's another desire now, the desire to know. And yeah. So, but we, but at the same time, we have this. We have this uh, 
preconceived notion now that we're collecting data for. It's no longer collecting data, raw data, it's collecting filtered data. It's always coming through the rose tinted glasses. Oh, I want this, so I'm going to find ways to get that. Oh, I've You're got to right. make money on Wall Street, so I've got to You're find the data for this stuff. You're a step ahead of me already, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so that's the whole quality of that desire is we have to be able to see it for itself in the sense that it's not going anywhere satisfied. Yeah, yeah. So that's the question. Can we, in fact, be satisfied with not getting what we want, knowing that if we do get what we want, our satisfaction will be short-lived, and mm. now the dissatisfaction of having to take care of that which we want it yeah yeah so we can back that up now a little bit okay in time in the sense that uh we can go to the point of i like it and i want it but i don't have to have it in other words now instead of being satisfied with not getting what i want is that i really don't want it all that much and then even before that, we can come to, yes, I like it, but I don't want it. Mm. I'm satisfied with just liking it. Now, here's the point where a lot of Christians and many then, therefore, uh, newly minted Buddhists come to, uh, especially with the ideas of sexuality and all kinds of things that are intentionally designed to be attractive. Right. Is is that we're not supposed to like it. We can't oh. <laughs> uh, we can't feel the way that we feel. But the Buddha's got a different perspective on this. He says no wisdom at the point of contact. So if you actually do concoct up into your mind some really, really drop dead, gorgeous, delicious thing, you can just let that, yeah, I really like that, but I don't want it. It's just a passive mm. fantasy. It's just a you know a floating bubble, just another photo, and it's gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember wisdom contact from uh, Buddha Dasa's book, the mindfulness of breathing. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Wisdom at this point of contact means that we can like it, mm. but we don't have to want it, or we can dislike it, and that's okay. Yeah, I don't like what she said, but that's all right. I mean, it's not correct, and but it's not me that <laughs> yeah. the slings and arrows of outrageous portion that she was throwing and hurling straight on at me missed me because I wasn't there. <laughs> <It's>... Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 th and that's, that's why I saw it that way. It's like this process that feeds itself, right? It's this wheel. And all you do is just get out of the way and like, it just, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, it, it sounds silly. It's so tautological, but it, um, it made a lot of sense to me at the time that I realized it. So I just wanted to see what your thoughts were about it. Well, it's just mental martial arts, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> dodging the blows, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when uh, we're slow that we get hit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we're developing that sort of mental agility um, through seeing how we are creating our own unhappiness mm -hmm. yeah and then i guess we're just refining that happiness in the sense that 
well, okay, I've got like I have this body, it's going to eventually die and it's it's doesn't feel good sometimes and sometimes it feels good and whatever, but it's not a reliable source of of true happiness for me. So I have to find well, a way to there retreat is out no of it. Source. There is no source of happiness. There is no cause that the effect will be happiness. Mm-hmm. Because happiness, surprise, surprise, is a concept. Yeah. 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 And that really what um, the valuable thing to do would be to change our frame of reference is a way of saying it, change our attitude, change our uh, niggles, change our um, expectations. These things are not quite up to the level of being thought. But your attitude really will affect the thoughts that you have. Yeah, 100%. So this is what really needs to be changed is this niggle, this expectation, this almost unspoken world view. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now that unspoken world view is actually the stench from the sewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Sankaras, yeah, the habits and the Exactly. Yeah. And so that means then that we always uh, let us say it changes from time to time, sometimes based upon circumstances, etc. But we generally kind of hold a worldview of either, ouch, that hurts, stop it. The other worldview is, hey, never mind. Mm. Now you can see that in the subway when people don't want to be touched. In a crowded subway, don't touch me. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. This is the victim's attitude, and we are all born with that. Mm. We are all dependent when we are very, very young babies. But mommies, if if she's doing her job at all, will nurture that tender young baby up to a point in time. Sometimes between the age of very rarely in the threes, but in the fours up to the age of six by six dead meat. Because the change was mommy no longer nurtures baby and baby can do anything that baby wants to do and to you sit down and you do your homework. You do what you're told to do. Now you are mommy's little helper. Yeah. This all happens when mommy has a second baby. That's when the three, uh, the uh, the first child is two or three or four years old, because he was mommy's baby until mm-hmm. the other baby came, and now he is mommy's little helper. Yeah, yeah. Change of position, and we always live the rest of our lives wanting to go back to that nurturing time. Because now we feel that victimhood, not of the nurturing, because we were victims, we needed nurturing. Mm. But when we are put to work, now we're real victims. You do what you're told to do. Mm. That's it. This is, that in fact, this is the uh, uh, the woeful state, a kind of a prison that the Buddha refers to as a dumb animal. 
a wolf <laughs> animal state. Why? Yeah. Because uh, the the let's say the horse is in his pasture and he loves it and he's just flattening around and stalking and everything like that. The farmer comes in and saddles him up with a um, plow and makes the horse plow his own pasture. And guess how many of the groceries from that uh, uh, newly plowed field the horse is going to get? Yeah, maybe a carrot or two. <laughs> yeah, mostly just hay. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what happens to every one of us. That's the society. That mm. Every child is like a pony living in a giant pasture. And mommy and daddy and all of the other people come in and saddle up that horse and make him plow his own field. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And that's and so we're put to work and we don't get the benefit of the rewards that we, we should be able to get. I think and it's it, a little bit even more depressing than that. It'd be something like an animal that's attached to a uh, some sort of circular mill oh, or something I, like that. That's the other story <laughs> I have of a donkey <laughs> that was, uh, it was a, actually a thin tree, but it was a big long pole <laughs> that the other end of it was attached to a stone and this donkey worked around in a, about a 30 foot circle or so. Yeah. And this uh, a man was taking sugar cane and putting it into the stone mill and out would come sugar cane juice that he would sell for 10 rupees. This was in India. Uh, yeah. And that guess how much of that sugar cane juice the donkey gets. None. 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 Yeah. But over and over again, he's got to keep pulling that millstone round and round and round. Yeah, very sad. No, that's human life. That's mm. what we do. We just don't recognize it. But that's the average mill worker. That's your average sewing machine operator. That's your average uh, office clerk. Mm. That's your average bank teller. That's your average doctor. Hmm. So do you think that in the sense some somebody could then find a way to wisely engage with their work in the sense of doing it from a sense of dana or something like that? Yes, exactly. That's but that's the change of the attitude that we're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. That's the whole point is, is that it's not about what you're doing. It's how you feel about what you're doing. And that how you feel about it is based upon your attitude. Yeah. Okay, and that attitude in the Pali is Sama Sankapa. Okay. Okay, which we have uh, waking up, right sati, right investigation over and over again, and checking to see what our thoughts are, and then taking the effort to change those thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts, which will then slightly begin to bend this Sankapa from being uh, a victim into being a winner. I can do this. I can clean up my mind. I can do this. I can mm. feel good. I don't have to feel bad over and over and over again and begin to get this attitude change. Mm. That's then the change of uh, that the Buddha is looking for. And in fact, that's why people would want to go to psychotherapy. But they don't normally change their attitude. They just really, really get in touch with the garbage pit that they live in. Yeah. And they don't 
they don't like it when they came in. Now that they really know it, they still don't like it. And they paid thousands of dollars for psychology. Or they could have gone to, uh, to pay a little less money to uh, do Mahasi practice. <laughs> but with this teaching of the Buddha, we have to recognize we've got to make that change. We've got to take the effort to throw those unwholesome thoughts out and come back into the state of satisfaction. Mm. And so the very, very beginning point would then be, can you be satisfied not getting what you want? Because you're not going to get it, and if you do, you're still going to suffer. Yeah. I think that's probably why uh, I'm probably, and uh, one of the anomalies of the people that you see, generally people come and see you when they're having a problem. I, I, I'm try, I'm, I, I come to you when I'm having good insights, I guess, and not feeling all that burdened by. Oh, well, there's, you know, nobody needs an excuse. (laughs) Maybe it's Tuesday. That's a good excuse. (laughs) It is Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Tuesday, yeah. Um, Yes. What was the other thing I wanted to ask? Why do we have to have an excuse to have fun? Absolutely no excuses required. So has been my experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It reminds me of what my, my dad always used to say, you know, if you can't do what you love, love what you do. So I always had that carrying in my in the back of my mind. Ah, that's actually, um, <laughs> that's Dharma. That's yeah. the entire teaching of the Buddha. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's the whole thing, Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. Yeah. And my dad's a pretty wise guy. So he, I, I had that, I had that um, shoved in my ear, although I didn't understand it when I was a, when I was a little kid. I was like, Your how can I? Your dad may have not understood it either. Not uh, my, my dad was a meditator, so I'm sure he understood it to some degree, okay. although he might not live it completely himself. <laughs> Well, yeah. that's just not enough hamburgers in the sewer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Got to put more hamburgers in the sewer. Yes. Yeah, a bit more practice. Throwing yeah. hamburgers out instead of just throwing more garbage in the sewer. Let's start throwing hamburgers in the sewer. Yeah. Actually, it's funny that that thought's now come up into my mind because I was thinking about that recently in the sense of that whole, that phrase where it's like, you know, chop wood and carry water. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially, you know, what we're doing. But now instead of finding it such a burden, we're just. Yeah, all we changed was the attitude. Yeah, yeah. And Here's I, a... go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say how it's funny with the Buddhist teachings. He gives you like all these. He gives you all these entry points like, you know, right attitude, right mindfulness, right concentration. But. Obviously, we start with right view, but in the sense of if we start at one place, we always end up at every other place regardless. Like Mm -hmm. how, you know, he says, you know, having friends is the holy life. That's the whole of the holy life. But then in other other, um, points, it's, you know, enjoy what you're doing and all that sort of stuff. Like how you said, that's the Dharma. I found that very interesting, how it all circles back into one another. Mm. Actually, yes, that's one of the qualities of the um, of the entire teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha Dhamma, 
Um, and I've talked to others. In fact, I've had, I remember one particular three hour long conversation on this point with my good friend, Dachan um, uh, Damavitu, who he lives on the other island over there. He's British and he's been a monk since 1993. He came to Watsu and Mok uh, about the time that Vikabuda Dasa died, so we didn't know him very well, but he was okay. So, and the the point is, is that the Dhamma is actually quite simple. Yeah, there's not much to it. That an example of that would be like um, a very very fancy cut diamond. Some diamonds have, in fact, like fifty four or fifty six or a hundred facets, little shaved areas all over the diamond. But the diamond itself is is more or less clear crystal and you can see it and you can see exactly around it. it's just one thing yeah but in the beginning of a dhamma practice we have five of this and four of those and 16 of that and 36 of this and 12 of them things and nine <laughs> of that and five more of this and four of those things and more three of this and four more of this and yeah. all fours and sevens and and these are just the facets on the diamond yeah well said well said i've been looking for an analogy to to make sense of that <laughs> mm -hmm. and so there's really not that much to it that in fact when you see it in this in the sequence of events the first numbered thing that we can look at is the satipatthana the four foundations of mindfulness <clears throat> because we can see the body the people <clears throat> the mind as a uh, apparatus that does something mm. and then the objects of the mind which by the way wind up being all of the products of human society were uh, at least at one time an idea in the mind mm -hmm. okay and so all of our surroundings are now filled with the physical realities that prove that there are objects of human minds <laughs> mm. Okay, so that's the Satipatthana, that's the basic foundation. And that the Buddha borrowed that from the four basic elements. Both the Greeks from ancient times and the Indians from ancient times had the same four elements. Mm -hmm. Earth, water or liquid, fire, and air. Mm -hmm. And so there's that, and the Buddha just took it from the outside put it on the inside for the body, the feelings, the mind and the mind's objects. That's it. And if you look at it from this perspective, Anapanasati is geared around that. Hmm. The practice of Anapanasati is based upon the four foundations of mindfulness that are right there in the Anapanasati Sutta. It says that we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness, period. Yeah. Okay. And that we also practice the four foundations of mindfulness for the completion of the seven factors of enlightenment, which are nothing but the Eightfold Noble Path. But the Eightfold Noble Path is the is the path or the method or the skills to be developed. And the four found the seven foundations of mindfulness then are after they have been completed these skills and put together as a package. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so 
with with that understanding, we can see then that um, if we are going to then understand dukkha and the nature of dukkha, we have to see it from the perspective of these four foundations of mindfulness. And so the first thing we do is we break apart this mind into three groups, and that is consciousness, perception, and our memory system. Put those together back with body and feelings, and now you have a rearrangement of the Satipatthana into the five aggregates. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very simple then to understand that the five aggregates are the foundation for Paticca Samuppada in the sense that each one of these five aggregates, there is no self. There is no self in the body. There is no self in the feelings. There is no self in consciousness itself, though that's the place where most get confused. Mm. There is no uh, self in the uh, process of perception. But look how much uh, cognition and firing of neurons and all kinds of stuff happen in the brain to make sense out of what we see. Mm. Okay, and so and how we make sense out of it is by comparing it to old data. Uh huh. Yeah. Car. And so, in that regard, none of those five things is there a self. There's no unit anywhere in there, either physical or a spiritual or immaterial or uh, something spooky beyond. Uh, 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 let us say the science of physics. Yeah, I checked, Something. couldn't find it. Can't check, not there. Yeah. But what happens is, is that um, it's, it, it's kind of like a, an automobile or a chariot. Mm. The original story was a chariot. The chariot. What's a chariot is that thing which the horses can pull around and you can ride on it because it's got wheels. That's the chariot. But if you take the chariot apart, then where is the chariot-ness? In the sense that you, when the wheels are over there and the spokes are over there and this and that and all over the place, how can the how can you climb on that thing and have the horse pull you around? That's it's right. The, it's the transportation that's the chariot, not the various pieces of it. That's right. And There's that, no essence. Right, and so that's the whole teaching of Paticca Samuppada is where does self come from? It comes from improper operation of the constituent components. And when you get the thing fine-tuned, it runs quite well. It does, yeah. (laughs) You start putting good gas in (laughs) and clean things out, then it probably will run a lot better than the junk you've been feeding it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think of it as like a chef, right? You're putting in good ingredients and you're making a nice meal at the end. Precisely so, yeah. yes. Yeah. All of these analogies help us to understand. Then packing all of this stuff back together makes it really simple. There is just one little thing that the Buddha teaches, dukkha, dukkha, naroda. Yeah. See dukkha and step aside. Mm. That's all there is to it. Yeah, uh, and one one thing, and I, I, tell tell me if you, if this resonates at all, if this is a good understanding. What the way I've I've found dukkha niroda works is more like a lot of people think it's like you're driving and then you smash the brakes, whereas it's more like you're driving and then you just take your foot off the accelerator and you're you're fine. Yes. That's exactly right. One's right effort is to take your foot off the accelerator 
and that most meditators are there both pushing as hard as they can both <laughs> on the accelerator and the brakes <laughs> yeah and they're just spinning in circles they're just doing a burnout <laughs> yeah wow that actually works uh very on lots of levels now <laughs> burning themselves out yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah just stop doing anything you know and how do we get that is by being satisfied and not getting what we want mm. Yeah. That seems to be an, an interesting way of saying it, call, call, kind of calling it like a secret ingredient. Which because one's the secret ingredient? The secret ingredient is to be satisfied with not getting what you want. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And eventually I, that that desire will just fade away. Actually, it can be very quick yeah. <laughs> because you put two and two together and you come up with wait a minute that thing is not a five at all <laughs> yeah yeah i found that happen with anger quite quickly just unproductive you know what i mean exactly yeah it took me a long time to figure it out even times when i wasn't angry i would be angry because i thought i could get my way because sometimes you do and sometimes you don't mm yeah and i figured out that no <laughs> it almost never works exactly the way that you want it yeah you yeah. end up having problems with it yeah so uh, that's that's the way that we look at it over and over and over again is to you know look at what we're doing and recognize that some things are not working hmm. yeah And so we can, because we can see that they're not working, we can kind of <laughs> almost as if you would withdraw your hand from the fire once you recognize that it's actually hot. Doesn't take long. Imagine that you walked into the kitchen and you kind of put your hand down on the counter and it wound up being one of these really modern stoves and the burner is on. <laughs> yes. And it doesn't take you long. In fact, the hand itself is going to come off of that fire before you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Okay, so that's the real, the really good point. Then is if we can see Duca really well, we're going to get away from it really quick. Yeah, and and that and that's another thing I've I've spoken about is when I've talked to other people about Anapanasati is the sense that when we're gladdening the mind and when we're brightening it up and making it fresher, it's almost like we're um, uh, using like a contrast dye. You know, like how the biologists do it for their for their uh, microscope. Mm -hmm. You put on the contrast dye, and now suddenly the bacteria are really visible. In the sense that we're making our mind really, really fresh and bright and happy, and all that. And then all of a sudden, a little microscopic dot of dukkha comes in, and your mind automatically sees how it came and how to get rid of it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, part of the uh, the phases is that, that when people start opening their eyes and seeing what's there, it's sort of like walking into a room and seeing it's kind of messy and you're willing to clean it up. And then you turn the lights on and you see what a disaster it is. And then you want to cry. Uh, that happens in meditation a lot with students is, is that, yeah, they're willing to look until they actually see what garbage this is. <laughs> and it keeps coming back over and over and over and over and over again. And the answer to that is, is yes, yes. When it does, you clean that out, too. And you clean that out, too. One little thing at a time. Every time you see something, you pick it up and throw it out. 
Mm. And that is uh, meaning that now we're putting hamburgers in the sewer rather than our own nose. I don't like this. Yeah. Hamburgers in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a name of a book for children. <laughs> yeah, it could be, yeah. It's very strong imagery. I like it a lot. Uh, my mind's blank, sadly. Well, that's all right. I think that we've actually um, had um, quite a little dance with desire today. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I like the jury thing. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. Yeah, I think that was definitely the uh, 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 flash light bulb moment for me. I like that a lot. Actually. Yeah, actually. yeah. And would you say that line that lines up into Paticca Samapada, right? The, that's, yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly right. That's the story of Paticca Samapada, those various things that from, yeah. from one kind of witness to the other kind of witness that impacts the jury, that has the feeling of guilty, not guilty, or we don't know. And then the sentence of the judge, you're guilty, mm. and then getting carried away, and then you're in prison, you're in hell. And then uh, you... I, I wanted to actually ask one question about Paticca Samapada, and that is about um, the second link, which is the formations. What's, what's a good way to explain that, or how would you explain formations? That's the sewer. That's the sewer, okay. That's the sewer. Yeah. That's, that's the same car, right? That's the same car. That's your okay. pile of car. Right. Yep. 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 Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Great. Yeah. But you see why uh, words like formations, why they may be accurate in a way and mm. correct translated, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. It's. Yeah. They don't they don't 100% make sense. I mean, sometimes when, when they were explained to me like volitional formations, that made a little bit more sense, but still in the sense that, well, if it's coming before, if it's coming just after ignorance, but before craving and clinging, it's not necessarily fully active, but it's not necessarily just a passive thing either. Well, this is another problem is, is that you uh, generally the Western idea is cause and effect rather than interconditionality mm. okay that if you're going to have four things necessary in order to get something then the order that they are, are listed uh does not necessarily mean the order that this has to follow that which has to follow that which has to follow that but more that when these four things come together then you have this Okay. Yeah. But you still gotta you gotta list them in some kind of order. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. That clears Here, that clears it up a lot. Right. So here's the example of how to make lemon juice or lemon into lemonade. You have lemon, put sugar, you put ice, and you put water. Does it matter which order they go in? I believe but it, it does. does matter. Huh? It doesn't, right? No, it doesn't, generally. <laughs> okay. Um, 
And so because of that, in other words, you can put the juice, uh, the sugar in the bottom of the glass and then put the lemonade on it and then put water and add ice. Okay. Or you can put the ice in the bottom of the glass and put some water in it or juice. I mean, it doesn't matter which order you put them in. Yeah. But it does matter which order that you put them in when you speak because you have to choose an order to tell him. So and a good so way. Sorry, you guys. And so that's the problem with the way that Petitu Samupada is taught is that it looks like it is a series of events, one step after another to 12 steps, rather than seeing the interrelationship. Yeah. So would it be fair then to say, because I've got the list written up right here. So for example, because formations is second, it only has ignorance as its condition. But if well, we were to look at contact, it would have the other four as its condition, but not necessarily in that order. Ah, but let's look at what this whole thing is trying to explain. And that is, is that when we start formating things, when we start packing in, we do that in early childhood, which has a lot of ignorance. Okay, and so we start with not knowing anything. We start with ignorance, and when we start accumulating, we, let us say, um, the library brings in the books. And at one time, what did they do? Uh, nowadays, modern libraries have two different kinds. They have fiction and nonfiction. The nonfiction is Dewey Decimal System and uh, or something newer than that. And the other is alphabetical order according to the author's last name for fiction. Yep. Okay. So, but when the books come in from the library or to the library, they're not in any order at all. Ah, uh, I, I see now. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay, and so we've got to put things in in some sort of sequence or some sort of order. And so uh, that's how we begin as children. We just accumulate stuff. Yeah, because we don't really know how to make sense of it. Eventually, the child begins to make sense out of things, but they do so sometimes making tragic errors along the way. Yeah. Like do what you're told to do and not liking it. Yeah, we resent it. We feel guilty. Okay, there's all kinds of feelings that are we are taught to have, and we ignorantly feel the way that we're told to feel, rather than uh, wisely choosing how we want to feel. So, almost in a sense that our childhood was like a past life, in the sense that we were completely. I mean, you know. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm just looking at the life. metaphor of it. <laughs> Metaphorically, yesterday was a past life. Yeah, true. A hundred percent true. hundred percent true. I'm just thinking of it in more in that. And a very, uh, a very, right. Okay. So yeah. you can say then the childhood many, many, many lives yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So, and so that that's the Sankara is, is that all the accumulated stuff that we built up. Here's another thing to, to recognize. A lot of people think themselves as being that accumulation. This is who I am. And a way of saying it is, is that every one of us is the sum total of all the lies we've been told our whole life. Okay. That's who I am. I'm just the sum total of all the lies I've been telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> because when I'm doing the truth, then there is no self 
to be yourself. Yeah, there's nothing to be lied to about. Because mm-hmm. then the yeah the subject of the lies goes away. Who I am, the me is all the lies. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's another way of looking at that sewer. Are we going to continue to put unwholesome, long lies and other things in our garbage, or are we going to start putting some wholesome stuff in our old pile of stuff? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the choice, the it's it's so abundantly obvious now that I can't ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. In yeah. fact, that's a very Zen idea, is, is that once you can... Once you wake up and have the knowledge of this stuff, you can't just go back to sleep and try to ignore it because it comes knocking on your door now. Before you could ignore yeah. it, but now you can't ignore it anymore. You begin to see that that this is actually beneficial for you to begin to wake up to this stuff because only yeah. after you can see it can you do anything about it. If you can't see it, there's nothing you can do. Precisely, precisely. Yeah. And... Especially, and that was really interesting how you explained the neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling tone in the sense that you're being caught. When when you don't when you can't see things properly, that's when that's when you have that rapid oscillation, that sort of restlessness between ah, uh, like what am I feeling? Mm-hmm. And we spend a lot of our lives in that state because we and it's not and it's not agnosticism either because. It, Agnosticism means we've made up our mind to not make mm-hmm. up our minds. <laughs> but this is yeah, this is like a yeah, a confusion of wanting to to settle, I guess, to settle on a yeah. position. Right. In other words, can uh, we we want to say that I have to have this knowledge whatever it is in order to feel satisfied. Mm. The question is, can you be satisfied not knowing Mm. Okay. Not knowing what? Well, not knowing what happens after death, not knowing about re- reincarnation or heavens or hells or gods or demons or what the name of that God is or atheist <laughs> or agnostic. Mm. I could be okay and to not know about any of that. Yeah. Because that, none of that is in this present moment. In this present moment, none of that stuff is here. So I don't have to deal with any of it. When it comes, I'll deal with it happily. Yeah. And there's an argument to be made that the the very fact that we started knowing about those things is what made us become unhappy. Because once someone tells you... Yes, right. Because they've always just been concepts. Yeah, yeah. And we get attached to those concepts. We want things that are only concepts in the mind. Hmm. Yeah. And look at the struggle that people go through to get what they want, because what they want is satisfaction rather than saying, hey, man, be satisfied with not getting your satisfaction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you're working so hard to get something. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you can just relax. Oh, you can just relax. Yeah, you have nothing to it. Yeah. Or yeah, enjoy stop. the process. Yeah, just enjoy the show. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, oh, oh, Stefan, I've got another guy calling. So oh, yes. Let's no go worries. ahead and finish this call. 
And great. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Yeah, Thank me too. So Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Thank well, you. We'll see you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.